Well, good morning. We welcome today a group that's visiting us from South Church in Lansing, Michigan. Drove over this morning and joined the crowd. Going to stay for lunch, right? All right, and then you're going to go riding on the little ski board, right behind the boat, that banana thing. Yeah, you got that one down, all right. And you brought your swimsuit so that you can jump off the board onto the trampoline. You got all that. How many of you have done that? How many of you have done that? Oh, all right. I saw such funny things yesterday because it's on an angle, you know, so it's not quite what you're used to. And some people were doing half flips and some people tried to stop when they hit the trampoline and that doesn't work too well. And it's a great day. Well, they did not include a mission slot in this morning's session because the offering for the project was taken last night and they figure we don't want to talk about anything but you giving money to the project. And that's not true. Uh, we want to thank you for you that helped us with the project in Togo. What an interesting little name for a country that has gone through some amazing things for so long. It's been Portuguese. It's been French, it's been British, it's been controlled by just about everyone. Today it's a French-speaking country, but uh, the, uh, the voodooism uh, is just rampant. And that's where voodoo started, and it has uh, just uh, destroyed lives. And we have partners in there that say it's time they hear about Jesus. Um, and, and I just wanted to take a few minutes to tell you, I, I, I started last night and then I, I didn't want to interrupt that part of the message. So, but I want to tell you that uh, I want you to imagine a couple things. Imagine I give you a microphone and say, tell the people who can hear you on this microphone everything you know about Jesus. And I'm going to give it to you every day and I'd like you to talk for 15 minutes. How long do you think you can keep talking? How many days before you'd start repeating yourself? How many stories do you know about Jesus? How many things do you know that Jesus actually said? How many facts about Jesus do you know? Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, so we're asking people who have just met Jesus who perhaps have not grown up in a Bible conference, have not grown up in Sunday school, have not grown up reading the Bible, to do that. And I, I just ask you to pray for those people in Togo. They, they love the Lord. They want those other folks to know Christ. They're going to sit down behind a microphone, and a radio station has to be fed. You've got to have something on the air all the time. Now, we have computers that play a lot of instrumental music, keep people listening, but you got to have somebody willing to talk behind that microphone. And in that part of Togo, way up in the north, right in the Muslim country, there's not a lot of Christians. But we have enough that have a vision, and we said, okay, we'll stand with you. It's, it is amazing to me how they work. We've put in about 600 radio stations around the world with different partners and we've only had two or three that have failed in about uh, almost 30 years now of doing that. So they just somehow keep it going. 
and we are amazed by it. So if you were a partner with us in Togo and would helped us, are helping us financially put that radio station in, then please pray for the people that will be behind the microphones talking, telling people about Jesus, people who are resistant, people who have never heard about Jesus, people who think Jesus is some kind of a fairy tale. Uh, you pray for them. Uh, this little card was a great idea. Um, last night we talked about when in trouble and you're going through a hard time, maybe a hallelujah would be good, and we talked about celebrating what God has done, but also a good hallelujah is encouraging somebody else. So maybe when you're going through a really bad time or a time of real trial and you're really not sure what to do right now, maybe the thing you want to do is turn and encourage somebody. Wasn't that a great illustration in the devotional this morning? For you that are visiting with us, we have devotionals every week and it's always some, or every day, and it's always some kind of a lesson and today it was a lesson of squeezing toothpaste out of a toothpaste tube and then and seeing how long that took and then trying to put it all back in and seeing how long that takes. And we know that that's impossible. Anybody was successful? <laughs> that, that is impossible, isn't it? And, and the lesson was how easy it is for words to come out and how hard it is to get those words back. And then, of course, we go to the extreme guys. Amazing. And the whole extreme thing of just encouraging other people and being extreme about it. And just for your own sake, maybe keeping count. Can I encourage six people today? Is it possible for me to encourage six people today and, and keep count? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this. Let's see, I'm going to encourage. I'm not going to just do it when it kind of comes along. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be ex <laughs> I'm going to go after this thing and I'm going to do it uh, the right way. Uh, that, that is such a powerful thing. I, I don't think we all understand what encouraging our kids does for them. We, we're, we kind of get the picture that we're here to correct our kids and Boy, so much more can happen with encouragement than correction. So much more. And spouses encouraging each other and pointing out, not, not because they encourage me, but because they need encouragement. We all need encouragement. Okay, we're talking about the armor of Christ. We have a few bookmarks left back there, so you're welcome to them. Uh, I don't want to take them with me, so feel free to take them. We're talking about the armor of Christ. We have been equipped by God to live in this day. And this day, when there are problems that come our way, when there are people that disagree with us, when there are issues that create problems for us, we are equipped to stand. We have an enemy that's throwing, lobbing arrows, Paul says, at us all the time, trying to wound us, trying to distract us, trying to slow us down trying to uh, change our course. He is always lobbying at us. And in fact, Paul says, he has schemes, schemes that he has set up to get us. So when you stop and think that the devil is scheming against you personally, right now, he is sitting someplace saying, 
how can I get them today? How can I make them do something that they're embarrassed of? How can I make them do something that hurts somebody else? How can I make them do something that doesn't show Christianity in the way they want to show it? How can I make them put their head on their pillow tonight and go, wow, why did I do that? How can I do that? He's scheming, always scheming against us. So God has equipped us with armor. And we've talked about the first three pieces that he talks about are pieces that we should already have in place. They, they should be there. We are, we are uh, born again, and he slides this armor on us. So he, he gives us the truth. We find truth in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, in the Word of God. He gives us truth. It's there. We can receive it. We can doubt it. It's our call. He gives us the opportunity to seek righteousness and pursue it and experience it because Jesus wants to put his righteousness on us. He gives us that. He gives us the command to put the gospel of peace on our feet so that where we go, there's tracks of peace behind us so that when we leave a conversation, the people in that conversation feel peace so that when we leave confrontation, there's a peace that's a result of it. We become peacemakers. And those peacemakers are called children of God. So those three pieces are the ones that are initially honest. Then he says in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the armor or the uh, shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. And, and so we hold that up. That's something that we have to develop. We have to actually take a hold of it and hold it. It's not naturally put on us. It's available, but we have to really believe, and we talked about that last night. we got to have faith. Either God knows what he's doing or he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, a couple years ago, I was asked to speak at a uh, conference of leaders in Thailand. Uh, I was very honored, and I said yes immediately. And then they said they wanted me to speak, I think it's because I'm older than anybody else in that room, they wanted me to speak on finishing well. Well, obviously I'm not quite finished yet. You know, I'm still finishing. So, I mean, the fact that you're all alive and in this room, you are in the process of finishing. God is not done with you yet. In fact, the greatest thing he has for you may be tomorrow. Maybe everything up to this point is for tomorrow. Maybe your whole creation, you haven't even realized the purpose yet. Maybe the greatest thing is going to happen in your life. Your greatest contribution is yet to come because you're still alive. You're still here. So he, he's not finished with you yet. So I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to speak on this. So I, I do some development. Then they say, well, would you do two days? So I said, okay, two days, three days. What'd you do three days? So, okay, what'd, what'd you do four? What'd you do one? So then I did that. And then the guys found out about it, and another group that had leaders from a number of nations said, well, would you come and do that? And can we see what you're going to do? So I sent what I had done to them, and they said, well, we want to put it in a little booklet. And so I... I they, they put it in a little booklet. Um, 
in the booklet, I share something that is, I hadn't really thought about for a long time. I was working on a degree in counseling and guidance. And there was a professor from UCLA who offered a course in sensitivity training. Do you remember that? Do you remember that phrase? We don't, they don't, I don't think anybody teaches that anymore, thankfully. Um, those courses were not daily courses or weekly courses. They were courses that you go to on a Friday evening. You walk into a room, uh, usually a living room in a house or a big uh, lounge someplace, and then you stay in that room until Sunday morning. So you're there from Friday night to Sunday morning. You don't take anything to sleep in. You don't take anything to sleep with. You don't take anything. You just go into the room and you're there. Now today you would have to leave your cell phone back. You would have to leave everything back. You're there in that room with 20 to 30 other people for all of those hours. And their whole premise is to wear you out so that you get down to really raw bones. And then you find out what you're really made out of. This was UCLA, okay? So um, we're in the middle of this thing. We've gone around a couple times with different things. Sometimes there's a ball rolling, and when the ball hits you, you have to respond to some question or something. And, and, and that's the way it is all night long. And some people have collapsed on the floor. So it was, about, um, it was about two in the morning on Sunday morning. We'd been in there now for about 30 hours awake after all day Friday of working. And um, uh, the professor was sitting back in the dark and he was rolling this ball. And when it got to you, he would fire a question at you and you had to respond instantly. And if you pause to think about the appropriate answer, which is what they're trying to weed out, then everybody would get on your case and they'd want to know why you paused and what were you thinking and why didn't you say what you really felt and they would just attack and strip you down. And it was not a happy time, but you had to take the course. So I took the course. So it was about two in the morning and the ball rolls across the room to me, bounces in front of me and I kind of become alert and the professor across the room says, what's your greatest strength? Well, now, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to process through your greatest strength. It's easier to talk about your greatest weakness, but greatest strength sounds kind of bragging. And you're sure that when you mention it, everybody's going to go, oh, no, now you don't have that. That is not you at all. You know, you're just sure. And they do, that whole class would just respond in the most, well, and I did the same thing. So, um, I mean, it was just a game, you know. It was, a, it, you just survived to get the course done. And you had to do this three times during the semester. So, the ball hits me. He says, what's your greatest strength? And out of my mouth in this secular group where I had discovered I was the only Christian or the person admitting that he's a Christian, I said, my confidence in God. I didn't know that was my greatest strength. I really didn't. I didn't know 
that I thought it was my greatest strength, my confidence in God. Boy, did that open a lot of conversations. The class became my mission field. What, what's your greatest strength? God has equipped us to survive in this world that we have. And we need to, we need to take advantage of the armor that he's given us. A picture, not quite sure which way to go. You're in a situation. You're not quite sure if you want to run around the front or the back there. That bear is a lot faster than you are. Okay, there's our words, and there's our little phrase at the bottom. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet covers our head. So we're talking about let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do you view yourself? What do you think? How do you want to deal with the things that are going on around you? How do you process? What do you say to yourself in situations that are tough? When the enemy shoots an arrow at you, when the choice between good and evil comes, what do you say to yourself? The enemy wants us to doubt God, Jesus, and our salvation. That helmet protects the soldier's mind and shows his allegiance. It's the helmet of salvation. I wanted to show you this list. Uh, somebody mentioned it last night. I think uh, Zach mentioned it last night. The 10, 10 uh, harshest countries in the world as far as Christianity is concerned. That's in the order of their persecution. It's from open doors. And, uh, and I want to I kind of focus on this country that's in the news today, Iran. It's number 10. So there's, there's 10, there's nine that are more harsh on Christians above it. But I want you to see the map of Iran. Some of you haven't looked at a map for a long time. Look at the influence they have. Look at all the countries that touch their country. All that influence that they have. So that's a very important country. It's the old Persia of the world. People say, well, that's really pretty hopeless. I want to tell you, there's a church in every village of Iran. Some of those churches meet in the middle of the night. Some of those churches meet up in the hills. There's a church in every village. They estimate 500 people a month in those churches coming to know Christ. 500 people. That's probably more than happens in your church or even in the churches of your state. 500 a month. Those churches are led by Chinese Christians. The Church of China has taken on Iran as their mission field, taken the old Silk Road back to Iran. So the taxi drivers, the housemaids, they're the leaders of the church in Iran. Got a couple pictures of the church. These are Iranian churches. Do a lot of praying, do a lot of encouraging, do a lot of sharing together. But that church is growing and prospering, and we praise the Lord for it. One of the things the Chinese make sure they know is what happens when they say yes to Jesus. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because I think a lot of Christians don't realize how armed you are, how new you are. And that's what the bookmark says this lesson is about, the new you. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So let's talk about what we have because we have salvation. And I have some verses up there. And I'd like people to find those verses and just read them out as loud as you can. The first person that finds it. It's like a Bible drill, okay? First thing I am is I am forgiven and I am clean. I don't have to go around with my head down feeling bad about something that happened back then. It is over and gone. I can't drag it with me. That's why bitterness is such an evil thing because bitterness reminds me of that stuff. It keeps me from being that new creation. I've got to do something about that bitterness. I have to forgive whatever that is and get rid of it because if I don't, I drag it with me and I am never going to be a new creation. So somebody read 1 John 1, 9. Aloud. It's in the New Testament. We'll help you with the big words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. See, some of you could have quoted it. You could do that. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. My friends, when you said yes to Jesus, you started a whole new path. You're a new creation. That's what we tell the people in Iran. It's all that past is gone. Your ignorance, your foolishness, your sins, your superstition, all of that stuff is past. You're a new creation. Number two, I am right before God. I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to go someplace special to do something special. I don't have to rearrange. I don't have to wear something special. I don't have to ring a certain bell. I don't have to burn a certain incense. I don't have to pray a certain direction. I am right before God when I say yes to Jesus. What is it? Romans 3.21. Yeah, the righteousness of God is made known. I am right before God. I am a new creation. I just quoted it. Who else can quote it? Second Corinthians five seventeen. Boy, folks, we've got to hang on to that. That person you haven't forgiven 20 years ago because of that bad thing they did, that's keeping you from this promise. That habit you've had that you just won't let go of, you drug with you into your new life, that's keeping you from this promise. That sin that you've decided, ah, it's not such a big deal. I know God doesn't like it, but it's not such a big deal. Nobody knows about it. That thought life pattern, that's keeping you from this promise. You have a chance to be a new creation. Man, a new start. What a promise. I am a child of God. There's the title. 
That's who you are. Somebody says, who are you? Why don't you try saying, oh, I'm a child of God. And see how they respond to that. John 1, 12. He gave the right to become children of God just because we believe in him. It's not hard work, folks. You don't work for this salvation. Jesus did all the work. All you do is, you know, it's a free weekend at Gold Lake. You just, you just take the slip and accept it. That's what we do. I am God's special possession. 1 Peter 2, 9. This is a long verse, so read it loud. 1 Peter's in the New Testament, kind of back at the, oh, here you go, go. So there's two parts to this verse. I am a special possession of God so that I can read that part again. Declare in the dark part of the world the truth from the light. I am light in darkness, his possession. Whoa. Second Corinthians five twenty. I am his ambassador. I am his ambassador. Those of you that lived in a foreign country know <laughs> how special an ambassador is. We lived in Ecuador for 30 years. Every 4th of July, the ambassador would open his home, which was big, invite all the Americans, so you had to have a U.S. passport to get in the gate, to his house, and he had hot dogs and beer. American food all over the place. The Marines served it. And people would mill around on his lawn and visit with other Americans speaking English. I mean, it was like we were home again. And then at a certain time, a bugler would begin to play and out would come four Marines smartly dressed and in formation carrying our flag. The only time we saw our flag. And they would march out and we would all be quiet. Sometimes we'd cheer. The ambassador was bringing home to us. That's what you are. Do people feel like they've been in a little bit of heaven when they've been with you? Like they've maybe experienced what it's like to be with Christ when they've been with you? It's as though, did you hear what he said? It's as though God is making his appeal through you. Can you imagine our God trusts us to represent him? I mean, 
How could that be? We all know that's impossible. We can't do that. But he trusts us to do that because he's made us new creations. He's made us to be like Jesus. And he allows us to be that with this helmet of salvation that we have. There's a good one. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We are co-workers in God's service. It's not us doing it to impress God. We're doing it with God. He's working with us. You're not alone. When he urges you to go over and speak to that person, you don't even know that person, he urges you to go over and speak to that person. You feel that urge, so you go over. Maybe a word of encouragement he has encouraged you to say. Then suddenly the conversation starts and you find yourself in a conversation and suddenly you hear yourself actually say something you hadn't thought of before. In fact, in the back of your mind, you're going, wow, that's, that's really good. <laughs> Hope I can remember that. It's really good stuff. That's co-worker with God. That's what he does. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to be afraid of the questions you can't answer. You don't have to be afraid that you've never done this before. You're a co-worker with God. Let him do all the hard stuff. You just make yourself available. You're the human. You're the body. You're the voice. You're the hands. He does everything else. And it's powerful. That's a part of salvation. You get that when you get saved. That's who you are. And finally, one last one. 1 Timothy 1.12. This is a three-parter. I love this verse. You need to mark it down in your Bible if you haven't marked it. I thank him because he's given me strength. He's equipped me. He's made me who I am. He created me. He gave me these skills and these abilities. I thank him that he gave me this, that he counts me faithful. He's already judged me faithful. He already looked at me and said, you know, that's my creation. He said yes to me. He's my follower. I, he's going to be faithful. He's going to do what I tell him to do. And he appoints me into his service. He has a task for me to do. Now, what's my part in all that? Being faithful. Being faithful. That's my job. I, um, I brought a few of these books. I, I think twice about them, but it's called Finishing Well. Pretty tricky title. Uh, it tells... It, it, the point is, it doesn't make any difference how you start. It makes no difference at all. So I spent a little time talking about my start, which was a little different. It doesn't make any difference how you start. The only thing that God looks at is how you finish. Okay? And some of us think, well, our start wasn't very good, therefore our finish can't be very good. And I want to tell you, my start wasn't very good, and I'm really working to clean it up so that my finish is good. And so I, I talk about how to do this. I only brought a few of these. 
They're really for other leaders uh, internationally. So here, here's the way this works, and this is the agreement I have with them. Uh, I can't give these away because there are leaders that need these, and we give them to them. So if you want to pay a little bit, whatever that is, whatever you think you want to pay, then I can give one of these to one of them. So I don't give these free because people pick them up and just take them home and never read them. But Americans are amazing. If they pay a couple bucks for something, they're going to read it. I don't, I, I just think that's wonderful. So they're up here on the front and you, uh, uh, I think there's about 10 of them there. So if you, if that's something you want to think about, I think the, the, what God told me about finishing well is worth passing on. And if that's something you want to think about how you can finish well, it's so simple. You could write your own book. Maybe you ought to. We're going to take a little break. And then we're going to come back, and you're going to be able to ask questions. Oh, let me, let me get back to my friends. You that have been here before have seen these kinds of wall of fames that I've put up. Let, let me tell you this guy right up here. Because I just I got an email from him this morning. That's Carrick. That's Premie. They live in Nepal. Carrick became a Christian in his family, and his family kicked him out of his home. He was just a boy, teenager. Uh, he became a Christian when he found a slip of paper from a Bible that had been torn up. And he read that slip of paper, and it was enough to introduce him to Christ. The word of God is so powerful. And he was kicked out of his family. So he kind of bummed around his village and lived in different places. And they found out he was a Christian, so they kicked him out of the village. And then they put him in prison. And he was in prison when the government changed in 2008. And the government changed to um, freedom of religion and began to say, well, um, it's a long story on how it changed, but they went from a Hindu kin kingdom to a republic in Nepal. So now he's free to, to go out. And he gets involved with YWAM and learns a lot about the Bible and learns a lot of things. And we run into him in 2009 and start training him as a leader uh, because he has a vision that he can maybe work with people who need to know Jesus uh, Barb and I have actually stayed in their home for a while with them, which was very unique. But he was telling me, after a while, I said, well, have you ever gone back to your family? What's your family do? He said, no. I, he said, they would probably kill me if I went back. And I said, well, do they know Jesus? He said, no. I said, well, do they need to know Jesus? Yeah. I, I wasn't really trying to manipulate him, but I just was asking questions. But in that, he heard, I ought to go back to my family. So he went back. He rode he rode uh, seven hours on a bus and then 11 hours walking through the Himalayas to his village. When he got on the hill overlooking his village, then this is about six years after he was kicked out of his village, he sees a church in the middle of his village. <laughs> he, and he recognizes it as a church. So he goes down. He, now he's feeling pretty comfortable. So he goes down to his village and he's going to uh, see what's happening, and he finds, well, this village, 
this church looks like it's like where my house used to be. And it was exactly where his house used to be. His mom and dad had become Christians and given their property to the church. The pastor was his brother. God had done an amazing thing in this man's life. That ignited him. He has been in villages all over Nepal telling people about Jesus. Chases out, he gets chased out of some of them, but many of them he's been able to plant churches. Carrick and Primi. People who understand what happened when they said yes to Jesus. And they're his co-workers, his ambassadors. That's what you can be. You can be that if you want to. Father, thank you for what you do in our lives. Thank you for Carrick and Primi. Thank you for their lives and for them even today as he's traveling miles to preach this coming weekend. Pray that you'd bless them. Bless us, Lord. We said yes to you, now what? It's not so that we can just sit in the pew and watch and be spectators. You want us involved. You want us to be participants in building your kingdom. Tell us what you want us to do. You've armed us. Now let us respond. In Jesus' name, amen.